we're in Ecclesiastes, and that does talk about death and, and passing and who we are, and it's all transitory. And we've, we've been talking about the teacher. That's the name of the guy that wrote the book. He calls himself the teacher, the Kohelet. And he, he talks about how he tried to find meaning in parties, pleasures, possessions, and palaces. And yes, I did work on the alliteration. It's only a Sunday gig, so I have time. He seems desolate and depressed, alliteration is again there, but he does have one hope, and that one hope is what we want to stop for a moment and apply Ecclesiastes. Not just talk about it in theory, but apply it. And his one hope is that he will do something that will outlive him, and that those who come after him will be better able to live their lives because he lived his life first that planting trees thing, something that outlive us. He told us, enjoy your labor. Uh, he told us, enjoy the work of your hands and enjoy the investments you make. He didn't phrase it quite like this, but the investment you make in others' hearts, because that will live on. If we take the long view, Ecclesiastes is not a depressing book. If you take a short view, it absolutely is. But the long view is that God is telling a story and you are invited to take part in the story and that the story will outlive you and it will be a better story than you could have written so let him write the story you live the story and believe that your life even if it doesn't seem to matter to you matters to the story it's important to the story to illustrate how this works and what we've learned so far i've invited these brilliant individuals up here and and when i say brilliant by the way i only hire people that are professionals and know their job i don't supervise them i protect them uh, we don't normally have incoming we're not that kind of church but if we did i'd be the person that would say stop it because these are professionals and they love your your kids and your teens and you you already know them already so and i, I forgot their names but the point is to be, we're going to talk about becoming ministers. My goal and my time here is not unlimited. You know, uh, there's a clock on my life like there is on yours, and mine's well ahead of most of the curve here. That's all right. And I've got a definite glide scope in mind that each year and almost every month, moving a little bit more of a person into position that, to, that will outlive me, that will outdo me and keep the moving going so that whenever I pass, you'll go, who was that guy? Because everything's sorted. That's the way we want it to, to go. When you join a ministry, what happens? It's a life sentence sometimes, isn't it? We don't do that here. In fact, we don't want you to, to look upon it as volunteering. You are moving from member to minister. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You are supposed to be moving, joining the story. So, we don't look upon volunteering as, and sorry, this, this side is not any better than the other, so you just, um, we, we don't look upon volunteering as sharing a load, but as in joining the mission of God. Whatever story the Holy Spirit's telling, that's what we want to tell as well. Now, I'm gonna turn back this way, when we were talking about this, Catherine came up with something, an idea that really, I said, you got to come up and you got to say this idea. Because 
serving others is not a one-way street. There are benefits to what we do in ministry. Tell them what you were saying. Well, oh, that's really loud. Okay. Um, when my we children agree. were younger, now they're older, but when they were younger and I started serving as a teacher, I found that I got to know all the other children that were their age. Those are the kids they went to kindergarten with. Those are the ones that they are going into fifth grade and sixth grade with when it gets really hard in middle school. And those are the kids that they're now going into high school with, which is wonderful. But I know those kids, and because I taught them, I know their families. I know their parents. And we created a community that I didn't even know we were creating. I didn't mean for it to happen, but it did. And I was so lucky, blessed, grateful that I was able to meet those kids. I know what they're talking about, you know, in class. And I know what their families are talking about at home. And I think it's just really important. And it's a piece that doesn't always get talked about. We want people to be down there, but we want you to pour into the kids' lives, all of the children from birth all the way through 12th grade. And then in other ministries as well. Thank you, Catherine. You know, you're talking about the present, and that's so important, and we've been talking about Ecclesiastes, enjoying the work of your hands, and I love that, and that is when we're not isolated and we have community, um, and the children are, it is so present now. The children are also, as we know, our future, and um, God prioritizes children so much, and I was just, immediately, you always think of Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from you, and did you know, so we were talking also about statistically and, and, and the future of the church. So they are the present, my goodness, they minister to me every Sunday and more. But the future of our church is our children too. And um, statistically, I'm just, I like statistics, so I did look at some things. Uh, this is interesting, as a parent, this is very interesting. There was a study done, and this was by Lifeway, and it was like about 3,000 empty, well, they, they were 4,000 kids, a, a little over 1,000 empty nesters. And they said, and they, people who, their children between the ages of 18 and 30 were faithful, identified as Christians, and involved in a church community, which that time, you probably know so many people go away, and some of them come back, but um, anyway, the top things listed why their children that were in common with all these people who had faithful children number one was they read the bible at home which is absolutely the power of god's word and and two things and parents are the best ministers that you can have number two was they were involved in either a mission trip or they watched their parents be involved in ministry at the church I just thought that was really amazing. So, yes, read the scripture. Two, watch your parents live out their faith and be part of that. And I think of Sam Lovett on Sunday morning. Sometimes I'll see him at 7.30 in the morning putting out signs in the parking lot. And he's in second grade. I mean, that's something. But he knows this is what we do and this is how we serve. Whether it's in a humble way that nobody except a few people who get there early on 7.30 in the morning know. So I just think that is a wonderful, uh, I don't know. Some, a confirming thing to say as, as a family. Uh, that is a really interesting statistic. Another statistic, one more. <laughs> you know this probably, back to um, children. Most people do come to faith as children. 
Um, Two-thirds of people who identify as Christians today say they came to faith under the age of 18. So, and a hallelujah for the ones who come after, absolutely. But this is such a big mission field right here, right here. It is our present and it is our future. So that's what I want to say Excellent. about that. Just, I, I want you to notice as you look about the place, if we were to try to build a church that was multi-generational, we couldn't do it any better than this. We have a lot of very small children. We have young couples with children. We've got people that are older than me, staggering, so it is, but they're here. On Wednesday night, our own dear sister, Christine Pig, read scripture to us. She's been a member here since September 1949. And she stood and read scripture, and right beside her was one of our young men. We, this is a multi-generational thing now. And teens, let me, teens, you're gonna struggle. And it's not like I'm going, oh, teens today. No, teen in every generation ever since Adam and Eve had a teen, struggle. And it, the, one of the things is that you're looking for identity. You're trying to figure out who you are. And that's, and we are too. That's why every adult asks you all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? They don't, because we've given up on us, frankly. It, it went sideways. It's very poor. Uh, we're hoping that you will save the world and build better nursing homes quickly. That's all we're going for here. You will, the world is hard on you. The world will come at you and say, you've got to believe in science and then tell you there's 27 genders. People, pick one. You believe in science or you don't. They'll come at you and say, you're an accident of history. You've nothing. And the only thing that we can use you for and they want to use you is for politics and power and for purchasing, consumer. We want you to be different, but you need a group to be different with. It is very difficult to stand alone. Remember this. The devil wants you isolated. God calls you in groups. We need to stick with the group. Evan? And I think this comes back to something that we've come to within Ecclesiastes is this mystery that the teacher in Ecclesiastes has of trying to find purpose in life. This teacher is searching for purpose in every ounce of life. And one of the little bits of hope that he has is in community, which is so incredible and also so strange. He's trying to find individual purpose, individual identity, personal experience, but he feels like there is some sort of connection between this communal sense of living and his furthering of life. As Patrick referenced at the beginning, we see in Ecclesiastes that he finally finds hope in saying that, well, maybe, maybe currently I can't see hope, but I know that something I'm doing now is going to be passed on to generations. And that's important. We see also in Ecclesiastes 4 that the cord of three strands is not easily broken. This tying together of people and of God in our divine purpose. It made me think of um, experiences myself as a young child. Um, we, we can all go back to our childhood and we can think of things that our parents didn't do super great or did really great at, or uh, maybe they were absent in and all these different things. But I think something that my parents were especially um, intentional about was the people that they surrounded me with, the communities that they formed and the honesty that they expressed and that this was their first time parenting me. They had never parented me before. They had never parented an Evan before. They had never parented in the specific time that they were in. And parents, feel that weight come off your shoulders. People who are not parents sit alongside our parents as they feel that weight come off their shoulders. 
because we have never parented in this environment. We have never parented these kids, so we need a community around us. It made me think of this moment, specifically in my childhood, when I was in about uh, second grade and we had transitioned to a new church, and I was in this class setting, and my specific grade was pretty small. Um, and I remember one Sunday I walked in, I had maybe been at this church for a couple months, and I walked into class and I was the only child in class. Some teachers might have packed up their stuff and combined with another class. Some teachers might have, you know, like thrown away the lesson and, you know, not known what to do or taken me back to my parents. But I remember these teachers very specifically, we were talking about the fishing of men. I still remember it because they intentionally thought that this one child matters. This one child has a purpose enough that they deserve to hear the story of God in a way that we cannot withhold this information. We cannot withhold this glory. And how important is that, that we have people that surround us to say that this one child matters enough. As Patrick's talking about, like, teenagers, you know the struggle. Students, you know what it feels like to feel isolated, to feel other, to feel ostracized. We all have that feeling. But how important is it that we have people that surround us and say, you matter enough that I'm not throwing away the script. You matter enough that I'm not throwing away the story of God. You matter enough that I'm not throwing away what God is saying to you, that you have a purpose, this community will surround you, this community will be here when life is hard. And I think that's what we hear from this teacher. Hear the Ecclesiastes teacher speaking almost as like a failed Sunday school volunteer because he's like, I've tried everything. I tried the goldfish, they didn't work. I tried the animal crackers, they didn't work either. Like he's just going on and on and on. But then finally he says, but it mattered that I was there and it mattered that I poured in and it's mattering that I'm continuing to do this. Ministers, don't hear that this is added pressure. Hear that this is an added blessing. Hear that this is added just continuation of what is going on because this isn't a math equation of trying to figure out how to best take care of our children. Instead, it's a solution of saying community is what happens. Community is what purpose can be. Community is what will drive us forward. I have so many stories I could add to that about my okay. own childhood and being a one student in a class and a whole wonderful time in my life that I totally remember I think I've mentioned this before, Neil, uh, was it Neil Lightfoot, how I got the Bible in third grade? My teacher and I went over that, just her and me. And that is something. And here I sit, you know, teaching kids. So, yes, I speak to that. And speaking of, I, we were also talking about this intergenerational accountability. Uh, more, the more kids who know people are looking at them and loving them. Uh, so I thought of, of course, uh, Tara Wilhelm does volunteer every Sunday. Um, in our ministry downstairs uh, during Bible class. And I had the privilege, it was a humbling privilege, to be invited to her daughter, Emily, who most of us know. Uh, her birthday, there was a birthday breakfast that some women were there. And I am so new to the game here, but I will tell you, I sat at the tables and I listened to these women. And it was just some women who had known Emily, most of them that the Bible group, was it most of her life? Most of her life. And I, when you said that about mothers, anyway, a lot of them said, oh, I'm, I'm Emily's other grandmother. I'm Emily's other grandmother. I'm her other grandmother. And this is all through a life group at church. And I just, it was just wonderful to see, yes, how Tara had surrounded her. But these people who loved Emily because they spent time with Emily. They were around her. They were showing up, kind of what you're saying. They were there. 
And it was, it was inspiring for me, who has young teenage, who I have young teenagers, also. But they also were calling her out. And when we're talking about the story you were saying in your sermons about Ecclesiastes, God's written our story, and we need to be there to be part of that story. We're called up to be part of that story. And so many of these women were calling an expectation, and I don't mean a bad, hard one, oh, an expectation of good, a God-given, a God-given story. So they were calling Emily up as she's 18 and going off to college and who they knew she was in her identity, the most important identity of all, her identity in Christ. And it was just wonderful. So I just wanted to pinpoint that because that is something that you get through community and showing up. Moving from members to missionary, uh, members to ministry, church is no longer boring because you're invested, you're part of it, and you see the stories. I remember the, and I don't even know if I've ever said this out loud, but when I left Detroit after 10 years, I remember I was, you know, the, the church was worshiping, and I realized this is one of my last times with them, maybe even the last time. And I was standing off to the side, and I looked at each person and thought, I know their story. I know who they are. I know where they've been. I understand what's going on here. I'm going to miss these people. And that was not intentional on my part, but if you do community for 10 years, you learn it. You know, it happens. Um, Very quickly, did you notice that the worship, it was intergenerational. Kelsey was leading her da, her, her father, sorry, Americans, her da over here. And I I was thinking, what a perfect illustration. Once again, the generations work together here, and that's that's beautiful. We do not want a silo church where the youth are here, the young marrieds are here. We want you to be involved in all the stages of life because that's the only way to to really pull each other out out of the ditch, uh, the ditch we all fall into. I am, and by the way, just one thing about teens, we're going to need feed feedback that's not no we're gonna need input that's what we want uh, yeah input thank you uh, our um our songs we want to have some old songs in there because we want you to remember the old songs some of those songs are really solid theology and so we want you to know those but we also need to know the songs you know and we often think we do and we don't we don't. I remember at one church, the guys, the, the elders are so proud when I was visiting them. We sing some new songs for our kids. And I looked at them. These were songs sung 40 years ago at camp. <laughs> do not hesitate to come to us and say, we are fed by this song. Can we do this song? We are fed by this. We need your voice. You're, you're part of this church. Second, year, uh, second graders are part of this church. Um, the communion. They're part of this church. Catherine said something which silenced the whole room as we were talking. I was writing as fast as as possible, and I looked down at what I wrote, and I said, I can't take credit for that. I want you to say it. So no pressure. Thanks so much. Um, One of the greatest gifts that I believe I can give my children is to give them other adults cry that I can give them other adults who can speak into their lives. Other adults to love them and care for them, to want them to succeed. This room is filled with those adults. It is filled with those adults. People who have taught them in classes, those who have chaperoned youth trips, 
those who've mentored them in the Club 56 program, which is wonderful. Those who've just played with them at camp. All of those adults have spoken into my children's lives. Now, I pray that they know, that my children know that there is a community of believers who are cheering them on. They're praying for them, and they want to help their paths remain straight. And that means more to me as a mom than anything I could ever say. He says, no, that's a safe place. You can cry here. Um, I almost just want to go right to you, but I'm just going to introduce same concept. Of all the lessons that I've learned in ministry, one of the great, greatest is that other people are capable, talented, intelligent, and good. The preciousness of others is a very important now part of my life. Uh, we did not live our lives that way growing up, but I believe that if you're, if you're there and you see a stray trolley cart, whatever you call it, take it back. Just do it. Pick up a few more. I've often been handed others. They assumed I worked there. It's all right. It's fine. Don't wear a red polo to Target. I learned that. I know that now. Never walk by a crying person. I had one verse that, uh, did we put that on a slide? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, look at the phrase, value others above yourselves. That's what ministry does. And I'm in all of the ministers you have on your staff here. Um, you helped pick them, and you have honored and loved them. Well, now let's, let's join them. There are benefits. And Robin, uh, you said something beautiful that I'd ask you to to talk about here. I'm Devin, but that's okay. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. I'm, I'm always used to, I'm used to Robin talking. Right. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's fair, actually. Okay, that's right. um, to be all, honest and in front of God in this company of witnesses, she talks a lot, but it's not empty noise. She has important things, and we learn from Robin, but I will still tease her because I'm a bad person. Okay. Devin. Um, First thing is I want to say how proud I am of all of my little friends right now because they are all so quiet and they're they doing are. such a good job. Way to go, friends. Um, when you look at the little people here, all of those tiny little faces, when you look at our older generations, when you look at the single mothers and the divorced, all of these people are worthy to be served. Each one of them is precious and they all have value. When you serve them, you get to know them. You make a connection and you build relationships. Some of my closest friends are two and three and four years old. Um, and there's a story I also have that happens to be from the Wilhelms that I didn't tell them. Um, but there was a Saturday when I came to set up my preschool rooms um, because little school meets here throughout the week and so I don't always get to get into the classrooms um, during the week. So I came on Saturday and I had all three of my kids with me and we were walking into the building and the Wilhelms were here and they were dropping off, I think, Gentry Farm stuff. And the amazing thing is, is I'm not super close with Tara. I do know her, but I know that she serves every Sunday in our children's program in the elementary school side. And she and her husband and Emily all greeted my kids by name. They all knew each one of my kids' names, even though I don't personally have a close relationship with these adults. And that spoke volumes to me because it gave them identity. 
to hear their name called by a grown-up on a random Saturday that they were walking into the building. It was so heartfelt to me. And that's a blessing of teaching. That, it, it is amazing. And a, and a story that I got from Mark. If you remember Mark Duckworth, one Sunday, it was just the perfect storm. Uh, there was sickness, bad weather, holiday, whatever. But downstairs needed six volunteers that morning. That just doesn't happen, but it did. And so as he's, he took a break in the leading of songs and he said, I need volunteers to go downstairs and do this. Hands were up. People went right down. You might have thought, well, I just filled in a gap. But Mark told me later that Sylvie, I'm team Sylvie. I, I, that, I just am. Um, Sylvie was so excited about an adult, and that was you, uh, Brittany. She said, my grown-up friend was with me. These little kids, they love this. The grown-ups are treating them like people, because they are people. They're wonderful. Robin? Oh, I'm glad you pointed out Brittany Morgan, because I'm going to say something to <laughs> I've been talking to Brittany, and she is one of those wonderful people who dedicated her life to Christ just recently. I mean, in the last few years, last three years. And I mean, is full of the Spirit and is ready to serve and give and, and worship. Oh, no, no. And so it's interesting because we were talking, and she is gifted. The Lord has given her great gifts. And one of them is the theater. Um, and, of course, we're talking about her teaching in our theater class. And she mentioned, she says, you know, I, don't, I didn't grow up like most of these kids. I'm scared they're going to know more than me about the Bible story. How am I going to teach them the story? And, and I, it's funny, I said, you just show up. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And, um, but it was interesting because when I'm talking, my husband Mike also teaches a lot. Um, of classes when those people, you know, he's, he's my man on call every Sunday pretty much. But I was talking to him about that too, about just teaching. And he, uh, this Thanksgiving, he had mentioned that that was one of his blessings that he was thankful for was that he has been able to teach kids for the last year and a half. And he mentioned, you know, the classes here are awesome. And we have the most knowledgeable and amazing teachers here. And it's wonderful to be, to get to be part of that. And Mike said, I love going there, but here's the difference. Before I teach, I'm reading and I'm studying. So I, I know my material, right? And I thought of Albert Einstein is accredited saying, uh, if you, if, let's see, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it. You know, you've heard that quote before. Um, so it's such a great thing. And, and as an adult, reading these stories, we've heard our whole lives. Oh, my goodness, this is the living word of God. It comes to you, and it comes to you, and it comes to you. And layers and layers when you're able to receive it. And that's when your heart is open, and you are in the word and there to serve. So it's just such a benefit. There's lots of benefits to teaching kids. Uh, oh, did I mention the fruits of the Spirit? Boy, do you get those. Uh, <laughs> humility, I don't know that's not listed, but, you know, you definitely get that. Um, that patience, the, kindness, gentleness, yeah. self-control, all those things. Um, you learn these things by teaching, but you really, yes, you learn to show up. You learn all of this, but you learn the living power, the power of the living word because you are studying and uh, it is a blessing more than you may know. Just, and, and I'm going to take 17 because I didn't assign that. So I'll mm -hmm. just do that real quick. As, assign as in, I can't remember who said it. Uh, but I'm 16 is the first part. We have, uh, there are 
92. No, I'm kidding. No, last page. Seriously, last page. We're on it, right? Um, I want to I make sure everybody in the room understands something. We are using children's ministry and teens ministry, student ministry, um, as, as an example. We could do this with building and grounds, finance, communication, all of the other ministries. Benevolence, we could fill the stage with benevolence and talk about uh, what that does and what we need. We could, um, I was, oh, mission work. There are so many missions here, so many works. If you don't know everything we're doing, we have a brochure. Wait, you're, you're pseudo-French here, brochure. <laughs> we, I put my brochure in the garage, uh, but you know, you French people do what you do. Um, we have one that has a list. And the neat thing is we have to keep editing it because it grows. And the, one, the ministries that are time limited, they fall off. But they're online if you want to look. But we have, we have these brochures. We'd love to, uh, to give one to you. It's an honor to serve uh, in the Holy Spirit, someone else, and to join the Holy Spirit in whatever he's already got planned. You know that I go about helping churches. And sometimes, most of the time, I have to be very, very blunt with people. I'm not everybody's favorite, and I'm aware of that. But it, I'm, this is part of the Holy Spirit job I've got. For example, the article on being scammed, I decided to put out, and many of you have talked to me. We found four people have been scammed in this church. I'm meeting with the FBI tomorrow afternoon to hand over some documents to them, including fake IDs that were sent. Uh, it's, it is shocking, but I don't like that part of my job. But that's part of my job. You're, it's a flock protection thing, right? When I talk to elders at other churches, I'll look at them, and I, one of the first things I'll say to them is, who are the two people you're training to take your place? And it goes very awkward, which is where it's supposed to go. And I'll tell them bluntly, if you are not planning for your replacement, you are building your kingdom, not his. If you come to church to be served, you are building your kingdom, not his. If you come to critique, you're building your kingdom, not his. We come to build his, which means we train those that replace me. I'm very confident that Emily's already a better, menace, a better preacher than I am. Grayson, you know I've told you that same thing. I've said the same thing to Lauren before. And it's not just that I'm talking to the women, it's just that we can finally talk about the women and say, I have no fear. None at all. I look at my grandsons, people, the world should panic, but the church will be cool. They're, they're, they're going to do what they do. They're not going to ask my permission, don't need to, I'll be gone. They're going to keep the story going. That's Ecclesiastes. Let's, um, Devin, see, I know you are. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there are so many ways to serve and opportunities that are so valuable outside of our church that I know a lot of our congregation are involved in. Um, there's ministries within our community. There's ministries overseas. There's all sorts of things. And while it is good and positive and right to serve in our community, to serve those around us, there's also something to be said about serving your church family, about being here, being invested and being planted where you attend every week. Um, 
to build those relationships. I know people by name because I'm here and I'm investing into my community. And it's just, it's a balancing act. And so yes, go serve, go out and reach people, but also remember those around you. One thing that I read this week, <clears throat> sorry, I kind of went off script, Go for Patrick. It. Um, one thing I read this week, it so spoke to what we were talking about in this conversations that have started the last several weeks as we talked about today. And I just wanted to read it. Um, by serving in whatever capacity you are gifted and wherever there's a need, you demonstrate to your church body that you care about them, that you're just not here, you're not here just to receive, but to give and that the welfare of your church matters to you. So much that you're willing to give time and effort to ensure that community is served. And I think I just wanna add on that as well. It's something kind of following in with all these things. Passionate people come in all skill sets and all passionate forms. So I am passionate about working with well, I work with 5th through 12th graders, but I love all people. But um, specifically, those 5th through 12th graders are amazing, and I'm really thankful for them. But I also have to be reminded, just like the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, I can't do everything. You don't want me to do the plumbing like Mr. Wayne does. You don't want me to look at a car like Cam Schrader or Chuck Norman. You don't want those things from me, I promise, because I can't do it myself for anyone. So, but... I have to be reminded of that in every setting, specifically when I work with our fifth and sixth graders. I'm so thankful for our students who come upstairs with us because uh, we have a very good group of students who volunteer themselves with our kids and with our fifth and sixth graders, but not all of them are passionate or gifted about working with our kids and, and students. Some of them love to build barns at barefoot. Some of them love to clean dishes after meals. Some of them have other passions of working with sound and lighting. We have so many great opportunities. And so I want you to hear that the teacher in Ecclesiastes says the same thing. You don't have to be all things to all people. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we have different passions. That's why we have different people to serve. We work together, not against each other, or away from each other, we work in cohesion with a body of Christ. That's why we move with all pieces wherever we go. Fantastic, and I'm gonna ask you if you could, um, it's not on, on the script, so you don't, obviously don't have to, but last thoughts in just a bit, and then we're going to call some children forward. But here, I really need your attention again, because I'm gonna use a phrase which has become politically charged, and I'm very, very sorry about that. I really am, I was, in a meeting with Christians and Muslims this weekend, and there was so much politics that, that I was wondering, am I just, should I just go die somewhere? Because no matter what you said, it was a political sore point, all right? There was a, a phrase that is used throughout the world and has been for hundreds of years. But whenever uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village to Raise a Child, that phrase then became something political. And, and people on the left championed it, and people on the right decided since she wrote it, it has to be evil. I've never read the book, but I know the phrase. It is still a, a very common phrase. So left or right, move that to the side. It does take a village. I heard so many people, people I respect, by the way, and love, react politically to it and say, no, it doesn't, it takes a father and a mother. Not alone, it takes more. I was watching my grandsons play basketball yesterday. 
this father and mother aren't going to teach that. I have no clue. But they were forming communities and they knew people and people. It was, it's brilliant. We need everyone. And this is our village. This is our village. Now we have a greater village. We have diplomatic relations with all other believers in Christ. And we love all other believers in Christ. And we even believe those who don't, we, we love those who don't believe in Christ, but they're not really our village. This is our village. So it does take, it does take you. In fact, when we moved to Michigan, my wife knows this, but I don't know that anybody else does. One of the main reasons we moved to Michigan, right after 9-11, leaving the beach where we were living in South Carolina and going to Detroit in winter. Not a lot of U-Hauls headed that direction. But one of the reasons was I looked and saw my son was entering the teen years. And I knew the youth ministers I had met going around Michigan. And to this day, top notch. And I thought, I want him in the middle of those men and women. And it paid off. They, they raised him. They loved him. They did for him what I could not do. They went to them when they wouldn't come to me because I was dad. You need to give them another voice they can hear in the village. And so we pour into them. So I have a faithful son. I have a faithful daughter. We moved house to get it that way. Uh, sometimes you need to go get your village. Well, you've found a village here. And I'm, uh, the, the wee ones are going to come up to sing a song about it takes a village. They're not singing a song to either political party. And if any of you are still triggered, there are medications. <laughs> but do we have last thoughts you want to share? Well, I'm, I wouldn't even looking at you, Robin. I just knew. <laughs> and again, I respect Robin. I think she knows I do. So. I just wanted to extend an invitation to those of you who don't get to go downstairs very often. There's so much life that happens down there. When you guys get to stay up here, all the little people that are shorter than you go downstairs. And there's joy, and there's laughter, and there's fun, and there's playfulness, and we get to sing worship songs. They have the, all, their own set of worship songs. And then we go into our own classes where they get to have hands-on projects and they get to learn the Bible in a very real, tangible way. And all of you are invited. I'm glad you said that because I will say, yes, sometimes if you come down, you see the joy. And sometimes I'll notice at the end, we may be doing a crazy game or we may be something. You're like, what is this all they do down here? No, no, no. It is the word of God we are putting in their hearts as we are commanded to do. And it is powerful and good. And I am so humbled every Sunday by people who come down. And I don't mean that you have to come down every Sunday. Don't get me wrong. We have a system and you are not, you are not there every Sunday. But I am, what's that? It's right. It's not a life sentence yet. But I am humbled, so humbled by people who give. And I was thinking one more thing. If you say, well, you know, I don't have kids, I don't know, this is a great way to prepare for kids. If I'm not, a, uh, you know, I'm in between, my kids are grown up, well, this is going to help you be a better grandparent. Uh, it, I just think of that because or, you yeah. are learning the language. You are with these children who are so, so important to our kingdom, and we are here now, and I hope that we can love the, la love the labor of our hands. That's my thought. It's also effective birth control, I think. So that's, that's a... I was just going to say thank you. Thank you for being our village, mm -hmm. for all of the yeah, children. Yeah. Thank you.